Hi, everybody. Welcome back again to the Hire and Fire podcast show. I'm your host, Jeremy Miller. I am the founder and CEO of Pirate Consulting that sponsors this beautiful program. And we are <laughs> Such a great in every way possible uh, is, our co- is our lead sponsor. And I'm along with my uh, co-host, Amanda Anderson. She is our director of marketing. Anything you see about the company from the outside in, that is to her credit. Hello. Hello. Hi. Happy Friday. We're shooting this on a Friday morning. Beautiful day. Uh, it is a beautiful day. Um, and uh, we're, we're going to make some beautiful podcast memories for <laughs> whatever the hell that means. Yay. Uh, so we got a we got a dual purpose show today. Uh, a lot of times we do series, but this time it's just going to be focused on a little bit of news and notes in the hiring, firing, staffing, economic weird world that we live in. We can go through some of that stuff, and then we're also going to jump into one of our skill set shows this time. Uh, if you haven't noticed or heard previous shows, we do a little bit of a rotation on some topics. And one of the things we do once a quarter is break down one of our skill set buckets, for lack of a better word. Yeah. So we had a guest um, recently. Uh, definitely check this out uh, when we did the project management show with Mary Cosgrove. That was really, really cool. Uh, today, we're going to tackle in the second half of the show. Uh, so you can look into the news and no- excuse me into the notes section on this show, whether it's Apple Podcast or wherever you found it. As if you want to skip forward to that, but that's going to be focused on what we presently call keyword presently <laughs> our network and data center skill sets. So we're basically just going to rip this thing apart on a fairly rudimentary level. So whether you're in this skill set or not, I think you'll dig this discussion because this is yet another example of how IT skill sets evolve a lot and change over time. So Amanda's gonna be coming from the vantage point of kind of new to this, right? Like this, we both did some research and whatnot, but so if this is not your field of expertise, she's more likely to be in your speed. Correct. Um, I've done this professionally about a hundred years ago for a half an hour, so I can speak a little bit from doing the work, but also just from what it's been like to watch these skill sets intimately over the last fifteen to twenty years in the old industry. So that's what we'll do in the second segment. Also, ironically, Amanda, sponsored by Pyra Consulting. Is it? Who God, they're thought? so generous. Very generous over at Pyra Consulting. I don't know who those people are, but kudos to them. We'll give them a hell of a Google review at some point. Uh, anywho, so let's jump in. Uh, I got a little bit of news and notes uh, that we can talk on. A bunch of stuff having to do with the job market. There's also some kind of interesting tidbits. We'll fly through so that I don't spend too much time on this. Here's one trivia question for you. Drum roll. Um, of the working adults, in your opinion, what do you think working adults would prefer more? A raise or paid leave? Paid leave. Mm. Wrong, actually. Really? But nonetheless, uh, it's pretty, it's closer than you'd think. I would have thought it would have been all money. Uh, but obviously, there's a lot of people that prefer kind of work-life balance per se. That's interesting over because post COVID, I would have guessed because the, the, that was the whole push, right? Like mental health, take your time yes, off, yes. like take care of you, work work home life balance. So technically, it's on the other end from your yeah. guess. It says sixty. Uh, this is a career builder survey. Sixty-six percent of working adults prefer a raise over paid leave. So here's how they worded it. This is the interesting part. So these sixty-six percent prefer a ten percent pay increase over an additional week of paid leave, 
When you word it that way, I can't believe even more people didn't pick the money. Well, yeah. Because 10% pay increase should be worth more than okay. a one week of vacation. Okay, so here's where I think it's interesting. I actually, I agree with this, despite what I, I guessed. I agree with it because, one, if you get more pay, you know you're going to work, so you're going to get more pay. But you don't know if you're going to need vacation or not. Yeah. So if you yeah. have more pay and you need the time off, you can always take unpaid time off too. Exactly. There's a lot of other cool stats on here. So 89% of the respondents expect an annual pay increase from their company. I would agree with that. That makes sense, right? Yeah. Uh, 46, basically half want at least 5%. And only 16% of people are expecting a yearly raise of 10% or more per year. That's, that, that's aggressive. a good chunk of people expecting that. That's a that's a large increase. Yeah. So um, not shocking. I mean, maybe if you're in the lower le- lower salary ranges, I could see that. But when you're up in high, expecting high, a 10% year a over lot year over year, money. yeah. Unless you did something good that year, right. like you gotta. Yeah, because what you're what you're saying is, is if I make eighty k a year, uh, I'm expecting to make eighty eight the next year, roughly ninety. Then I'm expecting to be at a hundred. Yeah. Right, and that so basically, I'm expecting to go from eighty k to a buck thirty in the next four years is basically what that math is. Which saying. is fast. That's pretty aggressive. Which, but, which makes sense why people can't do lifetime careers anymore because totally. you can't afford it. Right. Right. Well, speaking the, of that, the employer. Speaking of that, the survey also found that half of employed adults must. It uses that word. Must work more than one job to sustain themselves. Wow. Real right? I know. Now, Career Builder for those out there, I've used that site on the employer side for years and years and years. Um, basically, Monster was its predecessor, and then Career Builder kind of took over, and then yep. now Indeed kind of booted them a little bit. Career Builder is what I used, but when they're still I was there. In my they're 20s. still there. In IT, we tend to have the most luck with infrastructure skill sets, ironically, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about later on Career Builder. But nonetheless, I would argue that people on Career Builder are more likely to be lower pay, whatever you want to take that as, than Indeed. Hmm. Um, just those skill sets based on what we find on there as a staffing company, as an employer, but take that or leave it for whatever you'd like. 50% of employees express confidence that the rise in wages will keep up with inflation. Buckle the fuck up if that's your goal. Because this, this year, maybe. Um, but this year's, I think the only reason why wages are keeping up is they're not keeping up because of inflation. They're keeping up because of the market. And I, the, the job market itself has made employees more valuable and companies are having to pay to get the people they want more so See, than we're willing to pay you because the dollar is worth less or gas, maybe gas prices in the recent past. I don't know. What do you think? See, I, I always minimum, minimum would give an inflation raise because if you don't, so yeah. because if you don't, you're essentially asking your employee to take a pay cut. Uh, to to stay there, you know. So, and at least at least three to four percent of just inflation uh, raise is is basically saying I'm not giving you a raise. I'm keeping up with what you you should be making mm-hmm. for the cost of things. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which maybe is why people expect 10% because 3 to 4% of it's simply well, inflation. Yeah, you, you expect that that's like the I, minimum and it doesn't really move the meter for most people. Like no. everyone's going to take money, don't get me wrong, but 3 or 4% regardless of your pay rate is not something that most people are like, fuck yeah, let's go buy a vacation home. This well, is it's more kind of the standard. It's, just it's the, the ex- padding. Yeah, it's the yeah. basis base base uh, increase that I think people can expect or should expect. Yeah. So, so, and good for me. I've already used the F word um, in our, in our professional podcast twice in the first uh, eight or so minutes of the show. Pretty proud of myself. Or on it's going to be a lively one today. I everyone. So. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so uh, some other uh, news and notes here. Um, according to this, a uh, high inflation is a long-term concern for 87% of U.S. companies. Oh, yeah. Now, that's coming from a Express Employment Professionals um, survey. Now, if you judge the survey based on who they are, then their customers, regardless of the size, are hiring what I you could generically call day laborers, like Express Employment. That's kind of their focus. They are primarily a temp agency. Okay. But it was over a thousand US hiring decision makers. So it's a pretty, pretty good, you know, sample rate. Um, it says in response to high inflation, again, this is according to the survey, forty percent of companies have raised their prices, which frankly, I'm surprised it's that low. Yeah. Well, th- another forty percent have absorbed some additional costs. I would argue it's a both they're, and they're, it's not an either margin. Yeah, like some of it you're going to absorb and some of it you've you, got to pass you, you on. you got to pass on. Speaking of which, here's one that we can debate. Ready for this? There's a restaurant right near my house. I'll remain nameless because I actually really like them. Okay. Um, they have added a, don't quote me on this, but let's call it, a, I think it's a 3.5% additional charge to your bill, takeout or delivery, or in, in the restaurant for employee benefits. So on your receipt, it says 3.5% employee benefits. So like I, you know, me and the kids ordered some food the other day. It was like 80 bucks. So, you know, a few dollars is going to pay their employees health benefits and they're putting it on the receipt. They're just doing it wrong because here's the thing. That's your responsibility. You're going to pay it out of the profits of what I bought anyways. Right. So just raise your general prices. But making the customer pay it directly. Like it's a line don't. Maybe it's because they don't want to increase their prices Prices. on the actual menu because then it seems like, oh, you're higher right. for a hamburger than down the street. But now I'm giving the server but five after bucks you... for insurance and I'm tipping on that amount too. Mm-hmm. You know, weird. what do you think? I, How do you think they should do it? I would just raise my overall prices so um, because I know that there's, no, there's no, not a lot of ways that they can reduce costs. You know, like especially with COVID, they've been lean and everyone's short-staffed anyway. Uh I don't know. I You're going to pay for it one way or another. Yes. But I feel like it almost should be a flat fee versus a percentage. Yeah. Good point. I would be like, everyone pays 10 bucks or 5 bucks or, $2 or whatever. Or $2 on every bill or but, whatever. But to make it a percentage, I don't know. And I bet you there's a percentage of, of customers that like love it. They think that's cool. 
whatever whatever reason why they're altruistic or they sure. think it's progressive or who gives a crap. But I would argue there's probably an equal number of people that are kind of judging the business, being like, whoa, you didn't tell me you were doing this. Right. You get it it's at the end. It's just on there. And I get it at the end. I already ordered three cocktails, a dessert, a dinner. I'm taking the family out. And now out. it's a percentage. Maybe I don't take the family out very often, and I just dropped a buck fifty on a meal, and now I had to give you an extra 14 bucks or whatever the math is. It's terrible math, but you get my point. <laughs> it's terrible math. It's very terrible math. <laughs> Anywho. Uh, yeah. So yeah, kind of an interesting, uh, interesting. I don't thing agree. That with, I, saw I don't agree with the percentage. I, I just don't think it serves them well enough to want to do that. You know, maybe maybe you put something in the menu about like you know, or maybe you announce price increases, but you deliberately say you know, hey, it's a combination of the world, and we want to support our people. And here's well, I don't how think we're going to do it. I don't think anyone's surprised by price hikes these days. Yeah. Um. I. I I just don't agree with the percentage because you. it's just yeah. What if seems you, weird? That can add up to a lot of money to change your your bill. Yeah. So I mean, my my daughter, I give my daughter my credit card. She goes to get it. You know, spends eighty ninety bucks on food. I get the receipt because I'm a receipt keeper, business guy, write off person, and I'm like, oh, so it cost me an extra three dollars and seventeen cents for my daughter to go pick up the food. I'm like, what? Right. <laughs> Right. Uh, anywho, uh, here's another article for you. This is actually uh, the reason why I found this interesting was it was an article about rising wages and retaining employees, but it was specifically regarding a survey of CFOs. Okay. So, what are the chief financial officers doing and feeling about pay rates and retaining people? Right. Okay. So that the executive level bean counter at insert ABC <laughs> company is thinking what? Well. A majority of the CFOs, 72%, are concerned about wages rising to stay competitive. Yeah. 88% of them agree that the the great resignation and retaining current employees is a chief concern. So they're not, a lot they're of not oblivious, which is good, obviously. Well, you're losing your, your lower, not lower level, but you're, you know, they're at the pre-pandemic wages, maybe. You're losing them. And then you have to do the outreach, whether right. however that is, which costs money. And the people you're hiring are in such high demand that the wage is higher. So you have everything about that would make a CFO sweat. Totally. <laughs> Like, it, it no, they don't it like any, yeah. no part like, of that like, are they happy about. Like, like, think about what they must have been thinking when certain companies were, like, mandating vaccines or not, or making people come back into the office or not. They're probably like, well, we're screwed whether we do this or not. You know, yeah. we're going to lose people no matter what we do. But I also don't understand what it's like to be them because no. this survey is only 260 CFOs. But those are high-level people, and the minimum revenue of those companies is $100 million. So these are sizable. sizable. At a minimum, they are mid-sized organizations. So what they want to do is they think the best thing to do is to expand benefits. That's their primary strategy. Wasn't well, so, that what happened in the 90s? It, yes, exactly. We talked about this in a previous show because pay rates just can't go up forever. So what are you going to do to keep up with it? Well, you, you try and offset the flat-out salary increases by trying to expand benefits, which is an offering and is a competitive offering, but different than just money, right? Mm -hmm. So the way they want to do it, um, uh, half the CFOs think expanding benefits is the right way to go. So there's kind of a 50-50. Do we just give people pay raises or do we expand benefits or what is it looking like? 
they want to offer additional learning and development. So whatever that means to you, right? Paid courses or what have you. A lot of people want want development. They want right. to be developed into their career and want their employer to Whatever that is. To pay for that. a certification yep. or help me finish my degree or Correct. who cares. Um, another 30% is providing employees with more feedback and recognition, which is actually a really good idea because that's not necessarily dollars and cents. It could be branded apparel. It could be a physical award. It could be nominating people for a prize or even just kudos pat on the back, right? They're not yeah. even necessarily financial. And then obviously the rest of the crew is just flat out adjusting wages. So I always thought that a really good uh, perk is more significantly more PTO because it doesn't change your output for the year on their salary. And what's expected of you. So so you're not paying the employee more. More. They, they still have to get their work done, but if they can do it with four weeks off versus two in the year, it didn't cost the company anymore right. and, the, and the employee's happier. And then if you're in a department or a company or whatever that relies on... Um, just participation, right? You, you, the, the classic is I run a 911 operator company, yes. right? Like the vacation could be a legitimate problem. That's so, different. So maybe in that regard, you're more likely to offer kudos and money Correct. as opposed to giving more time off. But yeah, whatever just works for, for the coverage, company. Yeah, for coverage reasons. But if you're a salaried employee that has, you know, here's what you have to accomplish in the year. These are your goals. I mean, I mean, that's how, how like I am set up even. Like you have to get certain things done. Yeah. Regardless. Right. So whether I want to take, you know, four weeks off for two weeks or none, the same amount of work has to get done. And that's always this before I was here. That was always my thought process of like, as long as the clients are taken care of and the work's getting done, I don't care where you are. And the companies that do unlimited PTO are having full trust in exactly what you're describing. It's like you can take as much time because it doesn't matter. We're holding you accountable to an output. Correct. So some other things. This quote was cool. And I don't normally read quotes, but this is by a particular CFO. To retain talent in today's world, it's important for every manager and CFO to ensure people understand that they are a part of something bigger that benefits from their input, contribution, work, and ideas. So they're kind of trying to figure out like, how do we compensate and stay competitive? But at the same time, we want to wrap our people into an emotional connection about what the hell we do the or how what we do affects the customer or how what we do affects the individual employee or yourself or whatever. So that's kind of cool. I think that's easier for companies that are working towards a positive cause. If you're a straight for-profit, like, n- you know, no kittens are being saved and no yeah. – no- <laughs> No people yeah. are being fed or no new technologies that are saving lives. But yeah. we're just, you know, we're we're making we, buttons. We, correct. We, right. we, we, are, we are pumping out widgets. Right. <laughs> um, which I've had uh, uh, in someone that I know said that that his current job, you know, previously had worked at a place that had a vision and, and something that they collectively work towards. And that meant something to him. Absolutely. And now he's in a job that is just, it's for profit. And yeah. he goes, it's a little soul sucking. A little bit. Uh, sure. And he misses that, that collective 
camaraderie of, uh, towards a common goal. Totally. And I'm really proud of what we have here at Pyra because it's a combination of the two. Sure. You know, people people like what we're doing and where we're going and appreciate kind of how the company runs stuff. Uh, but a lot of it too is that we're a sales-based organization. So, you know, if, if you found the right home, it can be a really lucrative long-term home, which is kind of what's cool. Uh, if this matters to anybody out there, um, of the CFOs that were surveyed, 45% of them say their company is in an accelerated growth mode. Now, that makes sense and is good news for everybody. The only key thing to that stat is it's up just a little bit from the same survey a year ago. Okay. So a year ago, companies, 40% of companies are gangbusters, accelerated growth. Now it's just a little bit higher sure. uh, than it was before. So there's your... CFO uh, news um, on jobless claims, not shocking. Um, U.S. initial jobless claims fell by 2,000 last week to a total of 229,000 jobless claims. So those are basically the new unemployment requests week over week, which is down by a factor of four. You know, since the the since COVID really just kicked this mm. this country's ass, right? So. That's a good news. Uh, it, it matches what everybody knows, which is for the most part, if you want to work, there's jobs out there for you. Correct. Um, all right. What do we want to go to next here? Um, so uh, for the IT folks out there, tech job postings are up 83% year to date. That's a crap load. That is a so lot. So <laughs> IT job postings rose 83% year to date. And we're up 42% in May compared to friggin' April. Really? So whatever happened in the last month or two, um, it's, uh, you know, the IT job postings are going up dramatically. Well, but then in June, in June, they had all the layoffs. Yeah. So this is a dice, this is a dice um, uh, survey. If you were curious um, it says more than 1 million IT roles remain unfilled across the U.S. Uh, fewer than 85,000 new computer science grads are entering the workforce each year. So we have a million unfilled tech jobs, but we're only throwing 100,000 grads at it. Which which has been the problem for a long time. Totally. Is, is the funnel in into into the market does not match the need and the growth of the need. And that's where it gets a little it's that's why it's been so dicey. Yeah, so pardon pardon the dicey pun. <laughs> D- Dice also says uh they project the second quarter which is ending basically this weekend. Uh they project the second quarter to be the sixth consecutive quarter of tech job growth. So we're at a year and a half now of constant growth quarter over quarter. And uh, we are up. Average tech salaries are at an all-time high uh, and are up 7% year over year. So not only are the job postings for technical jobs going through the roof, there's still a lot of them filled. There's not enough grads coming out. um, And everybody seems to be making more money, which is a good thing. Not shocking whatsoever. The fastest growing search term for job postings in IT shockingly software engineer. Uh. <laughs> so 
that led the way with a growth rate of 162% year over year. Mm. So software engineer being included on a job posting is up um, over 150% year over year. So buckle up, you coders out there. We need you to because that's not how my brain works. So God love you. <laughs> There's no question about it. As you can tell listening to me, I'm sure. All six of you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, tell, a, tell a friend. Yeah, tell a friend. Exactly. <laughs> Phone a friend, tell a friend, whatever you need to do. Uh, nearly half say the current job market is more challenging now than before COVID. So that's an interesting one. From this, which perspective? This is a survey by ResumeBuilder.com. I have not personally used that, so I don't have an opinion. Um, companies report it is more difficult hiring employees than before COVID, while employees say finding a job is harder now. How the hell does that work? How does that work? I don't know. No, I did hear plenty. There, I mean, there's articles and there's talk of, you know, the hiring managers are not letting up on what they require, that it, they're actually getting yes. more stringent, even though it's tight, yes. that they're, they're not bending. And, and, and here's what's funny. The, the end of this backs you up. Oh, really? So it says 30, <laughs> 33% of employers have increased the amount of paid time off for employees in the past year. That's a lot, right? A third of U.S. companies are yeah. upping PTO, but 31% uh, of workers want fully remote jobs, but only 23% of employers say all of their positions at their companies are remote. Sure. So there's a little bit of a discrepancy between there's how many people- A little bit of a people, fight. A little bit. There's a little bit of a tug-of-war tug happening between between employers and employees. And it, But here's the good news. Uh, job seekers, you're going to win this every time. Because think about it. If you're if you're a target corporation you know that is primarily based here in the Twin Cities, if you force employees to work in the office, you'll get away with it. You'll find people. It might take a little bit longer or whatnot. But the people of, uh, of this, it says about a third of them don't want to be in the office. Those third can find a job that's remote in anywhere in the damn country. Correct. So that's what changes You're limited it. to a market. They are not. They are not. They are not. So, so you're polling from one area. They're polling from all 50 states, which is interesting. So 39% of employers, so sad. 39% of employers say job applicants have not shown up for an interview. That's rude. Whoops. On the flip side, 29% of job seekers say employers did not show up for an interview. That's shocking. That's shocking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that tells you you don't want to work for them. Evidently. That is correct. <laughs> Whoo. Uh, yeah, temp employment's up a little bit year over year. Uh, that matters to industries like ours because we are a staffing organization. So that just goes to show you that uh, either A, companies are hiring more contractors than they used to for insert any reason. Uh, can't find people, project work, who cares? Um, but um, that doesn't necessarily mean that temp itself is growing. And even if it is, it's just a smidge. Yeah. So I, I, I think the temp assignments, contract-based work is just kind of keeping up with the industry for the most part based on what I'm seeing. So uh, this goes to some remote stuff. 
when asked this year what percentage of their contingent workforce was working remotely, the median response among large staffing client firms like ours was 60%. So 60% of their placed contractors are working remotely. This is specifically kind of tied to IT and finance. Those industries, IT workers and finance insurance, insurance, excuse me, are the, are the industries that are most likely to have the most work from home people. Excuse me. However, the employers believe that that will decrease over the next two years. And that makes sense. Uh, you know, the, the further away we get from quote unquote COVID, the more likely over time people will go back into the office, whatever that looks like. Um, I've read a couple of articles about companies doing the old, hey, we need you in the office three days a week. Doing we, the hybrid. Yeah, we understand that everybody loves remote, but to keep company culture and this, that, and the other. So I think companies themselves are starting to like, all right, we got to figure out a way to do a little bit of both here because one or the other swinging the pendulum option is not is not kosher for them. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so basically. I always liked that model anyway. The hybrid. Yeah, yeah. I always liked that. Yeah, exactly. Um, however, I did recently, uh, and it's not up there yet, but it should be soon. Uh, just just this week, I made a video uh, talking about a uh, a personal friend of mine that is having a struggle with this, and that <laughs> seems to be a little bit more of the discussion of like, I, I'm either remote, cool, or I'm hybrid, cool, or I'm in the office. Like I, you know, people get it, yeah, but how they're being managed to that is all over the board. Well, think about it. managers don't know how to. They don't. They don't know how to. So. They they're trying to exhibit control in any way that they know how. Kinda. Yeah. You and know, unfortunately, that's the word. Yeah. Control. Um, so a lot of states are uh, keeping really, really low jobless rates. Ironically, Nebraska, of all places, was the lowest jobless rate um, in May for the United States. Yeah, there's um, nothing else to was do. Was followed by Minnesota and uh, <laughs> as and Utah. Uh, basically, eight different states have posted their lowest jobless rate since 1976, and they what? are not states that you would think. Alabama, Alaska, Georgia, Idaho, Kansas, Kentucky, Mississippi, and West Virginia. So I would argue, I would argue, outside of uh, Georgia, you know, um, a lot of those are. Um, uh, you know, kind of mid-sized states, arguably even smaller states like in Idaho or even though Alaska's massive, it, it doesn't have many. The habited part is not well very, well said. not very large. It is not a very well inhabited location. Um, uh, Washington D.C. has the highest unemployment rate in the country right now. Uh, that's weird. Um, almost six percent. Um, New Mexico. Uh, was the highest unemployment until uh, Washington, D.C. took it over. So those are the two markets, at least presently, are struggling um, uh, the most. Do they say why? Uh, no, and I just closed the article. So, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> if they did. Control shift we T. Will, um, I learned that uh, okay, today. Okay, all right. Yeah, that's cool. We can, uh, uh, no shit. <laughs> And I, I, I learned that this morning. And, and I'm big on uh, good old keyboard shortcuts. So, um, hmm. it doesn't. doesn't no, it's just it's just statistics. Yeah. Okay. 
the good old stats with no backing. Yeah. Or uh, no no explanation. Yeah. This is a co- and this is uh, these stats always come out of the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, so sure. that's you know kind of a standard. Yep. Uh, place to be. Um, yeah, and then if you're interested in the banking industry, for some reason, Bank of America reduced their forecast. So they cut its own growth forecast, uh, which was a note that was published last Friday, the 20th of June, um, basically expecting U.S. economic growth to slow to nearly zero by the second half of 2023. So Bank of America sees, according to them, a 40% chance of one uh, of a recession beginning next year and then and then projects so a much. quote modest rebound by 2024. It says our worst fears around the Fed have been confirmed. They fell well behind the curve and are now playing a dangerous game of catch up. So Bank of America sees the Fed changing interest rates as a very very dangerous game. Well then it was a pretty good hike. And I think it kind of had to be. 0.75 or something. From what I understand, the most of that came from the fact that mortgage applications are down significantly. So mortgage, uh, like refine is down almost 80%. And then Mm. new mortgage apps are down 10%. But that has so, to, isn't that because the the market there are no houses? So there's uh, that could be that could be yeah. I definitely wouldn't claim to be a uh, expert on that by any means. But interest, interesting to see one of the biggest banks in the country, uh, from their perspective, trying to head cut off at the pass a negative uh, reduction in their stock value. So they're trying to adjust now, and then they kind of see the second half of 23 and the beginning of 24 being kind of that window. So, you, hey, let's, all root, let's always, all root for them to be wrong. Wouldn't you always just do a modest projection so that you're always above it? That's that's, that's how my brain works. I don't blame you. I, I mean, I feel like, I, yeah, we're going to do uh, 1%. 1%. And then yeah, you do four and you're I, like, ha, I, we killed it. I think the publicly traded companies play a, a very weird game of – trying to gain customer excitement so that the stock value goes up and then also hope that they outperform expectations so that it goes up again. Um, but they, they play a game, I don't know. they play a game of business monopoly that this guy can't understand. Same year. Cause I'm like, I would always under, under promise, under promise and, and over deliver every time. <laughs> be like, ah, I don't know if I can do this. I think that's what makes you like a normal, <laughs> um, I understand the business world from a personal perspective. And then to realize that, you know, they're sitting on billions and billions, maybe even trillions of dollars of assets under their control. Yeah. It's a little different. Correct. Correct. So there's your no- news and notes, people. If you stuck with us through those uh, through those numbers, I'm impressed. Uh, but it's cool because it does tell a story. I try and gloss over those numbers as quick as I can just to give a basic kind of picture frame of what we're looking at, right? Yeah. Whether things are going in the right direction or not. Um, uh, but there's your news and notes. Insert sounder. Here comes, here comes, <laughs> our, here comes our, our next segment. Uh, anyway, uh, so today, uh, from a topic point of view, we're going to break down what we refer to as network and data center skill sets. Yes. So uh, I, I am putting you on the spot, but 
This Don't was a, do that. This was a new area for you. So yeah. what, what did you, did you walk into it with some thoughts? Were you, were you immediately proven wrong or right? What was just a basic theme of what you learned kind of doing some research on technical skill sets? I knew, I mean, I'm still rather rudimentary yeah. on like, I, I mean, I just Googled what's the difference between a network and a data and data center. Uh, still, of just like, I get the physical aspect of the data center, but, um, how it's all interconnected. I I mean, I just, I just read the term internet of things yesterday, Mm. you know, and I get it, but I had never heard the term before. So like, I, I would say this is one of the skill sets that I know the least about Mm -hmm. out of, most of them. And ironically, I'm the opposite. So thank God we're a good we're a good match in that regard. Um, these skill sets have been really interesting over time. So I'll throw out some titles to see if it makes sense. In the network and in infrastructure categories of kind of what we're talking about, this encompasses anything from systems administrators or engineers. So whether it be Linux focused or Windows focused, um, anybody that fixes anything, help desk support, desktop support, people that are designing and implementing and supporting anything having to do with the network. So how do you connect to the Wi-Fi? How do you connect to the company systems, right? There's a difference between using your email and needing to VPN in in order to get access to information on a company server, right? Well, I read something like that. Like every time you go online for information, let's say, you're either accessing... I'm going to get this wrong, but you're either accessing the internet or information that's stored in a data center. Yeah. So it's either information that's just in the good old World Wide Web or it's information that's proprietary to the company. Okay. Whatever that might be. Okay. So the skill sets that don't fit in here are anything having to do with most of the development, um, most of the project-based work, project managers, business analysts, most of the heavy data people do not fall into this category. Uh, so these are people that are basically doing anything from keeping the lights on to fixing technical issues to just when stuff breaks or what have you. Here's the weird thing about the skill sets is I kind of tried to do a little bit of research just on generically systems administrators and then also generically network engineers uh, to kind of to kind of do that. We want to redesign it a little bit because the traditional sense of a data center is not gone. There are plenty of data centers that every company is utilizing, it, but it's either on-premise for them, which they, which generically is just called on-prem, or it's up in the cloud where they are paying for a service. It's going to Google, it's going to Amazon, and their company data is saved there, or they've built their own cloud, whatever that looks like, a combination of the two. And I know I'm being very generic, but... Yeah, because I had read I had read that the cloud and and data centers are they complement each other, but you you kind of need both, and that it won't the data center won't ever really truly go away. And even if it did, it's only because your organization doesn't use them anymore and just pays for a service to have that data stored elsewhere. Because you can imagine the fields of servers that Google has somewhere. Oh, you know, just they had a picture of it. Just miles. It was huge. Yeah. So that's just kind of that's just kind of the way those are set up. So, do you have it stored on your own company network, or do you have it stored outsourced in the quote unquote cloud? 
the cool thing about the cloud is is it's always available. It's it can be accessed by people in updated real time. There's a disaster recovery business continuity component there because people don't. Uh, you kind of have an automatic backup system set. But these skill sets have evolved over time uh, for my entire tenure, right? So if you take if you take Linux, for example, uh, they used to be Unix administrators and they had one flavor that they tended to specialize in, either AIX or HPUX or Solaris. These are just different manufacturers that make servers for Unix and Linux. Okay. Then eventually Linux came along and it started kind of creeping its way into those job descriptions. So you didn't have a Solaris-based Unix admin anymore. You had a Solaris Unix admin with a bit of Linux. And it could be like Red Hat or one of the other types of technologies or basically manufacturers um, of those different servers. So what they started experiencing was a shift. So it went from Unix and then having a little bit of Linux to then it flipped. So now they're Linux administrators with maybe a little bit of Unix. That was probably 10 years ago. Now a lot of Unix is gone, if not all of it. Okay. So they just morph. So the, the Windows side is kind of similar, right? So you, you've, you're either supporting Windows operating systems like the one that's running on the laptop in front of you, or you're supporting win, uh, Windows operating systems that sit on the servers themselves. Those are different types of things. And they have always had a Windows primary job, but they have ancillary technologies on top of it. So they might support like the email, or they might support certain databases or other tools. Now, those skill sets are where they're being taken over by two things primarily, cloud-based technologies or security. So those two things tend to, they've kind of, stolen a lot of the mojo or they've they've um t their tentacles have woven their way into all areas of it so right. you and i were talking right. about this the other day right like right. security people are not just security people anymore they have to understand the security components of all the applications that the company is using and the different ramifications of anything that has changed you're not just a Windows systems administrator anymore. You have to you have a security component of your job that's not going away. Yeah, if you're developing software, you have to right. understand the secu the security component. Right. So the re the the research I was doing was because I was wondering if year over year over year if these jobs as a, at, at mass are shrinking or growing. What what do you what do you think the answer is? just from your perspective. Do you think these types of jobs are growing in popularity or actually shrinking and people should be worried about? If you're looking for how the jobs as they used to be, I would say that they are shrinking. If you are open to how they are morphing and kind of converging with cloud and security, and you're you're keeping up with that, then I would say that they're increasing. Yeah, and, and that's what and, I read. And, and the article the articles do touch on that, but if you just look at the titles generically, like literally the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics again, if you search network and computer systems administrators, they expect that field to increase by roughly five percent from okay. 2020 to 2030. 
So, so not double digits like some of the others. Correct. So, so they're increasing, soft, but at a slower rate. going up at 150%, right. but systems administrators are going up by 5%. And here's kind of the quote that I found that, um, that kind of drives this point home. Um, here's the quote. It starts with, it's simple. Technology breaks. Software breaks. Hardware breaks. You need someone to fix those things. That someone is a systems administrator. As long as we have things that break, we will need systems administrator. Sure. The, the analogy was the automobile is more than 100 years old, yet you still have mechanics to fix them because they, they all break. Correct. Right? So these magical devices in our hands are so far advanced, yet they're mobile phone repair shops in every city, and they're all busy. Well, right? think about the go with your auto mechanic example. That job has morphed to include computers. Computers, correct. So like, you, it, you can't just be a mechanic as you were 30 years ago. Yeah. That you won't find work. Right, exactly. So the good news is for sysadmins out there, systems engineers, whatever, you know, insert a relevant title, is, uh, you know, those jobs are never going to go away, but they will continue to change over time for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, there's no doubt about it. Uh, despite limited employment growth, it says about 25,000 openings for network and sysadmins are projected each year on average over the next decade. So here's the funny part, though. Most of those openings are expected to result from the need to replace workers who transfer to different occupations. I was just sitting here How thinking about that? that, going, well, does some of this have to do with the fact that people are getting out of it because it's not in high demand? And so, you know, the yeah. field doesn't have the same amount of people to support it. Didn't we have something that like that with uh, another job rec that we had? Um, Cortana. Oh yes, exactly. A, 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 it was a mobile software engineer or something. There, yeah, for, there were to, to there was something develop Apple iOS apps, but they wanted this Cortana this dying dying technology. Technology. Yeah. Well, everyone had kind of moved on with yes. it, so now it was like, yeah, there's three people. Kinda. <laughs> and if you're an employer, where you're like, hey, there's a good chance that there's some holdouts that never really grew past this that we could hire. But you also start to realize pretty quickly, like, oh, our environment is now unattractive to the best and brightest in the field because we, we're not keeping up. Correct. Um, this is very, very generic. Uh, but if you just do a quote unquote systems administrator search on Indeed, excuse me, LinkedIn, I apologize, LinkedIn, there's over 50,000 openings across the country. Now, these are all over the board. These could be people supporting a specific application like a learning software or, you know, so th these are quite the diverse types of sysadmin jobs, but nonetheless, uh, quite a few of them open right now. So that's that's uh, good news, obviously. Um, so what, what a lot of these articles are talking about is what the future of IT is um, is automation. And that's kind of where things have continued to go. So that's where you might be a systems person or a network person. So you might be supporting the infrastructure of a company. You might be supporting the network about how information and network traffic is handled in the company. 
but a lot of your job, like it or not, is becoming a bit more application development focused because of the ability to script automated tools uh, to make your job administering these systems easier or to make issues that pop up automatically fix themselves. So there used to be this real hard line difference between anybody who codes and anybody who works on the systems or network. Now they're kind of morphing together where if you're a systems person, you still probably need to know how to write scripts in anything from, you know, PowerShell to insert whatever the heck else you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's the funny part though. Automation, according to this um, PEGA uh, 2021 future of IT report, automation could also make it more difficult for managers to rise through the ranks. So with so many tasks being automated or outsourced to the cloud, According to this, IT management as a competency will either disappear or become less relevant. Management of the systems or Ma- management of man- people? Yeah, it's it's a combination of the managers and the people as well. So like the, the now you're going to need people to manage these departments, but basically what it's arguing is is that automation over time could shrink the, the job pool required. Like an analogy in here was um, when it came to uh, um, dealing with automation was like, think about all the things that we used to do, like in, in, in just producing products, right? That used to be manual. So you needed 400 people working on your production line, uh, but they've automated it, but you still need human beings to sure. build the automation or support it or to validate that it's working properly or what have you. Sure. So another one is non-IT employees will also require be- better and more knowledge of cloud-based tools, uh, particularly as remote working becomes commonplace. So they're kind of arguing that the run-of-the-mill employee, regardless of being an IT or not, um, is is basically in a position where it it needs to learn more and more about how the cloud works and what tools are being utilized. Just for access of information? Just, just, just to use it, to do your job, right? Hmm. Right? See? Interesting. Um, so from, when it comes to recruiters, for what we do here at Pyra, um, the quote was, recruiters often talk about backfilling jobs. That's a lot of what we do. People leave or get promoted, and a lot of what we're doing is just backfilling uh, an opening. Uh, but for the cloud, uh, the argument in the article is is you need to do forward filling, forward filling instead of backfilling. So forward filling means looking and recruiting for skills that you're gonna need in the future. So uh, almost pre uh, like a preemptive strike on sure. we're gonna need this, so maybe we start going that way. Um. Uh, basically, it just talks about how it'll make recruiting and IT more challenging. So as if we need more help for it to be <laughs> more challenging. Anyways, um, when it comes to the cloud as well, Gartner reported that enterprise IT spending on public cloud computing will overtake traditional IT spend by 2025. So um, same amount of dollars per se. 
we're just moving it from one pile to the sure. other. Sure. We're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul. Moving to the cloud. And that's yeah. kind of why all of the existing quote unquote traditional IT jobs require more and more cloud experience, cloud exposure, automation tools, et cetera, because it's that's where they're going and that's what you have to do to be able to help the dang business, right? So, so is that where, so this is where my rudimentary knowledge sure. here is going to pop out. So does that mean if I'm, uh, you know, an app engineer or a whatever, software engineer, I have to understand not only the security component, but the cloud component because more than likely it's going to be interacting or stored there or something? A little bit. I mean, that makes sense, right? But uh, when you hear of software as a service, it's it's name any software that you've ever used that you've paid a fee to use, right? It's not an application that you own or necessarily that the company owns. They're sure. just paying to use it. And all of that information is stored up in the cloud. So that... that the information. The, informa- yeah. the information itself. So... If that application goes down, um, it's kind of what you mentioned. I think it was just yesterday. You touched on uh, something having to do with the cost of if something goes down. Yes, I read <laughs> on average. So obviously some companies are higher or lower. But on average, for every minute that uh, the network or data center is down, it uh, costs the company $9,000. Per minute. Per minute. And per you, minute, uh, you you could imagine if Amazon went down, it's a hell of a lot more than nine thousand right. dollars a minute. But nonetheless, on average, yeah, on and average. that's still a truckload of money. It is per so, minute, right? Exactly, and that goes back to the original thing we talked about with systems administrators, right? Things break, so people have to be able to fix this. So we're always going to need the talent of how to do that. But when the company is being run by everybody doing their job in a random location connected to an internet connection to ha- to hack into a network to access data from a cloud when these things go down you can't do anything like no. you're, you're almost worthless as an employee like that thing needs to be back up immediately otherwise what what can you do you can't email anybody no when they when i mean we've had this as uh in previous employers of mine where like the network would go down or, or you know internet or whatever would yeah. go down um, and we had 40 some people just sitting in the office Oh my God, I know. because everything's online, everything. Well, and if you've worked in any of these, so almost every sysadmin network engineer that you could ever find, a, a lot of them started just doing like technical support calls, right? When sure. they were college grads or, or right out of there. Uh, and, and everybody understands this. If you've done it before, you you take a phone call from a random user in the company and they say, I can't get connected. And then all of a sudden you look down at the queue and there's 74 other people calling. <laughs> and you realize that a specific location, a distribution center, a office, a department, or even the whole company is down. The procedures to get people to fix that are way more aggressive than you'd think. So if you have a ticket in, in tech support that is considered whatever, high severity, level one, critical, whatever the term is, people are getting paged and woke up. Oh, middle of the night. And directors and VPs are getting paged as well. 
Like this is a holy shit, all hands on deck, fix immediately. Immediately, it's it's the equivalent of hitting the button and then that red light with the yes, yes, exactly. If you've seen Monsters Incorporated, it's like a twenty three nineteen when they all twenty three nineteen. I'll come in. Correct. Yeah, it might as well be a bank teller hitting the silent alarm. I mean, the freaking cops are coming, right? Like there is a problem. It's urgent. Money is money is literally flying out the window every minute. Yes. So the the network side, so I, I kind of generically talk about the system side, servers and how the actual infrastructure of the company technically is managed is, is analogous yet different to the network side. So the network is just how information gets passed back and forth. So can you connect to the company? Can you use your email? How, what happens when you pick up the phone? When you when you send a file, if you need to get to the if you need to get to the cloud, like all of those things are supported, controlled, and set up by the network folks. Those people are starting to experience more and more work as well. The demand is higher, and it won't shock you. Um, it's a lot of it's because of the presumably permanent adoption of either work anywhere or work hybrid. So it's not just that. Hey, we need to be able to have that one building in San Jose, California to be connected, we might have, instead of 5,000 people in one building in California, we might have 500 people in that building, but 4,500 people sitting anywhere trying to remote connect. So now you have more people connecting through a different avenue instead of hard lining into the company network. So the work from anywhere uh, kind of increases the demand for network capabilities, which frankly, in turn, should be some good job stability for network people. Well, and if you're looking for, so if you're interested in networking, um, one of the things I just read too was uh, edge computing is on the rise in really gaining momentum of like how you need to understand that as well because it impacts how their networks are built and managed. And so it was just kind of interesting. I had never heard of that before, um, but it's basically computing all this stuff on the edge before it even go- goes to the data, data center. Yes, exactly. And I, so it, I've read multiple things trying to wrap my yeah, mind around yeah. it, but um, it's, it's like the new way of doing it basically because of uh, latency issues and, and things like correct. that. Correct. So basically that's, that's kind of a newish framework that brings the applications closer to the data sources. Right. So it, it, it it's stuff that you as a normal user would never know, but it, it if, if companies can do this well, they can gain insights from the data quicker. Yep. They can yep. improve response times and then just have better bandwidth. So like in bandwidth is just your ability to handle more traffic. So more yep. people can be on it. You can download shit faster or whatever that looks like. So good old edge computing. And then at the same time, uh, these networking people, just like systems folks, have become a little bit of everything. Uh, you know, you, you and I were talking earlier about you know how typically in, in the bigger the company you work for, the more siloed your job is. Yeah. But that's kind of changing with networking. Uh, this quote's pretty cool uh, to, to sum it up. Today's networking professional is a networker, an automator, a cloud connector, a software maven, and a cybersecurity sleuth all rolled into one. 
So, and I think the last part of that is is mm-hmm. maybe one of the more newer ones where security is is such a big friggin' deal, and companies are so worried about it, and they've seen how it costly can, it, it, it can, is. It can crush them or cripple them down to their core. Uh, that everybody has to understand this. So whether these networking people need the sign-off approval of security to do something or they have to know exactly how that works, you know, they're all integrated now. It just is. So, um, yeah, so it basically says that the, 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 the responsibility of today's network engineers is a combination of protecting the business and ensuring reliability. Right, so it used to just be reliability. Is the damn thing working? Yeah. And then now it's, is it working? Yes, but is it, is the, is it actually safe? Right, is it, is is it the, secure? Is it secure? And insert all of the crappy comments about multi-factor authentication out there because we all hate it, but you understand why it works because it just makes... I hate it worse when there's a data reach oh and I have to redo yeah, all my passwords. Yeah, no so doubt about that. No doubt about that. Uh, I did find a cool article about uh, networking jobs, seven emerging networking jobs that could boost your career. So I'll kind of uh, skim yeah. through here a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of it. Um, automation advisor. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only is it, are we automating properly, but essentially are, can we bring in people that understand this at a high level where they can actually not be turning the screwdriver to fix things or to implement new technology? It's more of anything from like proof of concept um, all the way having to do with cybersecurity and risk management and things of that nature. Obviously, the uh, pretty commonly known cloud automation engineer, um, a cyber defense network engineer, uh, which basically obviously has a lot to do with uh, specifically security. Mm-hmm. Um, and then here's a fun one for you. Hyperconvergence engineer. Ooh. Oh, I know. I think your question is, what the hell does that mean? I'm like scanning it right now. I'll be like, what do yeah. they do? The position, the, position, the position requires the ability to troubleshoot the server hardware and hyper-converged infrastructures and virtualization technologies. Say that three times real fast. Seriously. Um, edge, <laughs> edge data engineer um, and then network intelligence. Uh, and then lastly, I think you mentioned this, a zero trust network access, um, which basically has to do with we don't trust anybody. We don't care if it's an employee or a third party vendor or a customer. We're going to we're going to over validate anyone's access so that we just don't have these issues moving forward. So, again, yeah. if you're in the networking side and you feel like you are ill equipped to handle security-based responsibilities, then then I would be worried. That that might be where you need to bulk up a Dive little bit in of your... And, correct. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Really, anyone in IT needs to bulk up their security. I agree completely. Unfo- uh, even knowledge. if you don't want to, unfortunately, it's, it's true. It's going to become a requirement. Um, I mean, not you- that these jobs need any more requirements. Right, um. right. <laughs> and as long you must be coming able to lift from 50, the, you must be able to lift fifty pounds as well. Coming from the outside <laughs> in and looking at these job descriptions, I was like, "Who knows how to do all these things?" Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like this is ridiculous. So, to to bulk up what you said, another article that I found is 
no matter where you are in IT, cybersecurity skills are becoming more and more vital. Uh, no longer can the enterprise rely on a separate security team to safeguard networks. Everyone in IT, every employee, frankly, must share this responsibility. So networking personnel are now expected to fully understand the security implications of their actions and take care to avoid errors in deployment and configuration that leaves a pathway for attack. No more can you develop something and throw it and over throw the fence. It out there. Just can't throw it. it over the fence to the security team and be like, make sure that's good. Yes. Like you gotta know how to do this stuff. Well, and this is what we were talking about of um the progression of DevOps, of having to know both sides or multiple sides of of the business to be in this field at this point. Correct. Um, yeah, because basically if you're in DevOps, the, the title itself describes it. You need to be able to develop and then understand the implications for operations. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not just building software anymore. I need to understand like how it's going to impact users Correct. or if it's going to suck the data network bandwidth down to a minimum or what have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just watched Jurassic Park last night yet again. And um, <laughs> good old Newman from Seinfeld. <laughs> Do you remember that yeah. guy? But he's the bad guy. You know, he's the one stealing the yep. dino DNA. Yep. And he was talking all about this stuff. Basically, he was pimping how cool he is at automation and whatnot. So oh, back yeah. in 1994. That's funny. So, yeah, I mean, basically. The, he was so progressive. Uh, that he was. Yeah. And uh, and was a thief, unfortunately. Um, and he got eaten by <laughs> Well, that's the point. Is yes. pro- if, thieves are the progressive ones. Yes. And if you are a thief, learn the lesson. You will be eaten by a dinosaur. That's basically <laughs> what we're saying. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but what, what's cool about this to know is that it's not that networking people need to be security people and security people don't need to be networking people. It's that you need to understand that you're both. So the, 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 it's basically an each equal contribution of, quote, securing the network that they're architecting and supporting the network that's there. So uh, like it or not, uh, that's kind of where this whole thing is going. Um, if you disagree, hell yeah. Tell us about any of this on uh, LinkedIn or any social or on our website because I'd love to hear if people are experiencing something different um, in regards to growing. So you know, w- we're trying to keep up with it as well. Like h- how, do we, how do we define these skill sets? And basically what I'm kind of arguing is that our present term of network and data center just doesn't encompass it. Uh, but we need to break them out properly. Um, DevOps and cloud are not the same thing. Uh, and for a while there, they were thrown into the same bucket, but they're not. Um, you know, cloud, security, systems, and networking are kind of all in the same bucket. Um, but that- and then DevOps kind of has the site reliability engineer that yes. that's, and again, this is coming from my marketing side of it. Of th- that's how people search, and they're kind of synonymous w- or being used interchangeably. Yes, yeah. So uh, you know, all right. Uh, hopefully, y- if you've been in IT long enough, y- you've already seen this. Uh, this is a cyclical thing. Uh, we've talked about this in other shows, but uh, you know, way back in the day, um, in the seventies, eighties, and part of the nineties, everything was on a mainframe. It was just one big system. And then everybody had to access that with, you know, simple terminals. 
And then eventually we took all of that mainframe and we broke it out into 8.5 billion little servers. And that got expensive and cumbersome. So people started using virtualization to kind of make it a little bit fancier. And then over after a while, people realized, well, actually we can just put this into a remote location where it's accessible via a third party scenario, like a cloud. Um, and we're kind of getting back to where we were. So mainframe was when everything was in one spot and then people accessed it for about 15 to 20, 30 years. We split it up where it's all in one little location. And then now we're kind of going back to the wholesale, like it's all in one big area. But I think that's why with the articles that I read, they were saying that you can't get rid of the data centers because you need, it's it's an and situation. So yes, we're putting it all in one spot, but you have to have the backup. Yes. You have to have the yes. backup. So whether you're primarily in the cloud, they're like, you still need something that's physical. Yes. And if you're primarily physical, you should still be backing up to the cloud. Right. So the, the old disaster recovery and storage people took a real hit in IT for quite a while. Uh, but, you know, they're kind of not they per se in the same title, but the same thought process is coming back yeah. again. We got to We got to back this stuff up somewhere. But, uh, you know, so if you're a network engineer out there, the only question is, is whether or not you've either embraced the change um, and if so, where you fit on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So if you've embraced it, cool. Well, then you're ahead of the curve and you've probably learned how that's to your advantage. And maybe it's because you like it. If you're one of the bajillion people on this planet that hate change. Uh, <laughs> you got in the wrong industry. It might, might be the wrong place to be. Yeah. <laughs> I always said that to the developers that my old job was just, you know, because they would complain that we're pushing new technologies onto them and having to update and modernize. And I was like... You got in the wrong industry. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. This is changing faster than you can learn it. Yeah. So this article actually is really cool because it was wrote by a network engineer kind of saying, are, are we collectively able to change? Uh, and he says, I've also found sometimes not as much of it being a fear of change, but it's actually a fear of learning. Yeah. Right. I was reluctant to go deep on Kubernetes for several years because I thought it didn't apply to me or because it would be too difficult. In the end, I picked it up pretty quickly and realized that it wasn't that complicated. Yeah. Right. So one of the primary reasons network engineers fear change for so long was that they couldn't really see the personal benefits of evolving. Um, it was more like I have my niche. This is what I do. Now the, the, the economy, the world itself is kind of bringing you to a place where you have to. This article would just would, would challenge somebody who's a little afraid or hesitant to change, uh, arguing that, yes, the, the immediate process of jumping into things like SD-WAN or AWS or Python or whatnot, it might be scary at the beginning, but it might actually be the thing that brings you fulfillment in your job. Oh, completely. Because you're progressing, you're learning, you're growing, you're becoming more valuable. You, well, you realize do, that I'm pretty smart at this shit. And you get to do some more interesting stuff. Yes. You, I mean, that was always my wonder of like, aren't you bored? Like working in, and I don't remember what they used um, for the language, but it it's like the most common. .NET, Java, something like that. Uh, even more basic i can't even remember there is a basic language, uh, there is, is awesome. basic but anyway they were uh, i was like aren't you bored you know don't you want to do some new stuff and i think once they dove in kind of what you were saying 
they found it was not that hard. Yeah. And yeah. and some of the new technologies are more intuitive even, uh, you know, and, and simpler. Yes. And so it, it ended up making sense. It was just one of those things where it was like, it's new and it's foreign, so it's a little scary. Mm-hmm. But then once they were in, it was like, well, this is kind of fun. You know, it's it's new. It's it's right. So trying it, something different. If you're in a career of IT, you, you kind of have to just embrace the fact that stuff changes on you pretty quickly. So yeah, you might be spending time, energy, and and money on growing and whatever that might be, but half of what you know right now will be obsolete. So what's what are your what are your alternatives? You Don't know? be the dinosaur. Yeah, and, and then you, and I, I've seen it before. It's pretty sad actually to see to see people get stuck and realize that like man. You know, I, I have a family. I, I I need to be able to make X number of dollars, and I'm not worth that anymore. And I I didn't change quick enough, and yep. the, the the demand for my current role is down, um, making it harder to get a job, even if there is a job out there. Like those things, those things are tough, right? Well, and this is for the companies too. If you're on legacy programs and and you're seeing things are changing. Like getting ahead of it is way more cost effective than like, oh, we'll just wait it out. Yeah. Like we'll wait it out. Because then, I mean, that's what some of these are, you know, some clients have found is, you know, everyone else had moved on and there aren't people who specialize yeah. in that anymore. Yeah. And, and that could be sad. But, uh, well, hey, look at us. Uh, we're a prime example uh, you know, Amanda d- has not grown up in this industry. And even though I have, it's now been almost five years since I've been in a direct recruiting or account management type role. So outside of hearing the stories and running the day-to-day operations here, I kind of have to do things like what we're doing right now. And, and I had to prepare for a show by doing a lot of research in order to process what I don't know um, yeah. is what I thought about the past now wrong. Yeah. We had a situation with a job regard, regarding Oracle DBAs, a, a database administrators, um, a month or so ago, and and I was you know I was met with a little bit of pushback because I still viewed that skill set as fairly common and core, and, oh, yeah. and we found out collectively just through the process that what some of our recruiters were telling me was right. You know, uh, it's still there, but it's a little bit of a dying breed right now. Um, so how do you learn that? You got to figure it out. You got to research. You got to spend a little time. My, my industry is not that different. Um, it's, you know, SEO, if you will, and what Google wants to see on websites and articles and blogs and stuff changes, Yeah, changes all the time. But the core, you know, for, at least for me, the core of it is I'll just take care of your user. If you take care of your user, some of that base stuff. It always helps you out. It helps you out. Yeah. And then you have to read a few articles, talk to, you know, your network basically and be like, oh, so what's, what are some key things that totally. have changed? You know, you have to stay on the pulse of it because yeah. otherwise, boy, if you're doing your web work um, from a marketing standpoint, if you're doing your web work uh, like 10 years ago, it's not going to work. Yeah, exactly. Like it's just not going to perform to the degree of someone who's staying on top of it and involved. Yeah. So whatever that is, uh, you know, if you're a, if you're a school person and you like that stuff, then cool. Sign up for some classes, go for some certs. Otherwise, 
There's we got, conventions. We, we There's got the, we got the interwebs. Do. Just yeah. start doing some researching and, and familiarize yourself. And maybe one little technology will grab you more so than others, you know, if you're struggling in this area. So speaking of struggling, our next show, oh, maybe we're struggling right now. I don't know. <laughs> our next show that we're shooting um, next week probably won't be available for a few weeks. It'll be a good one though. So if you're listening to this show, look out for the next one. We're basically going to debate what makes a good recruiter and what makes a bad recruiter. So yeah. that's going to be a really fun With some one. guests. With you some get guests. to meet some pirate yeah, employees. Yeah, we're going to bring in some people uh, that can speak in regards to you know, what they feel has helped them be good uh, and or what they've seen done by other recruiters. It was just a terrible idea. And we're going to go a little bit deeper than the like, did you or did you not re- reply to someone's Correct. email? But um, some of that is relevant. So. Cool. Well, thank you for listening. Um, On behalf of Amanda and myself, uh, we appreciate you checking us out. Hit us up online. You'll hear some of that info here at the end of the show. And uh, we'll look forward to connecting with you again on the old Hire and Fire podcast by our marquee sponsor, (laughs) Pirate Consulting. See you guys. Thank you for listening to the Hire Fire podcast brought to you by Pirate Consulting. Check us out on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or online at pirateconsulting.com. That's P-I-R-A consulting.com.